What's up, guys? Lawson down here. Steve Wally and David. We wanted to chime in, make sure we get some of this super wild card Cowboys and Buccaneers game. Also, that's some NFL news that we wanted to talk about. We had to get David on here. His man, the man of his dreams, at least for this offseason, Jim Schwartz ends up signing with the Cleveland Browns to take over the defensive play calling duties here. David, this comes after a couple weeks, not even a couple weeks of Joe Woods getting the ax here. How pumped are you to have one of the best defensive coordinators probably on the market as of right now, maybe not on the market, but you got Jim Schwartz. You got to be pretty excited about this. I'm jazzed. Right. And I think I like, I think a couple podcasts ago, I literally targeted him as like my favorite of the candidates. So fun fact, Jim Schwartz actually started his coaching career in Cleveland with Bill Belichick uh, in the nineties. Now, 30 years later, he gets to, kind of get to work fixing a talented but very flawed defense. Over his career, he's earned a reputation of like a no-nonsense guy. You can see that with like his trajectory of a very underwhelming Lions team when he coached them. Um, like they went from 2-14 and 14 to 10-6 and six playoff team in three years. He's going to be perfect for the Browns defense. They have a young, like, let's call it like a sophomore defense, right? There's a lot of second-year players. There's a lot of third-year players. And then you have like your veterans in Miles Garrett and Ward. And who knows if we bring back Johnson, wow. but he's going to be, he's going to be a demanding presence in that locker room focused solely on defense, because that offense is of a, a well-oiled machine provided Watson comes back a little bit stronger than how he finished this year. But I'm just, I think Schwartz is also going to be a very easy transition from Woods. Schematically, they do things a little a little differently, but they still use the same value the Browns have at positions on the roster. So, you know, basically Schwartz is still going to use Garrett on the outside. He's still – the reason behind that is to force runs inside, right? You're bottlenecking the quarterback. Um, now, it didn't work for the Browns this year because they had no defensive uh, tackles at all. So that's where that backfires. But – I think the speed in our secondary might appeal to Schwartz. He never really had the the sec the talent in the secondary with say the Eagles that the Browns do now, and he won a Super Bowl with the Eagles, right? So there's with him there's going to be like a heavy focus in man coverage, but he's still going to look in cover three. He's still going to show and mix looks in and cover three zone. But in terms of man coverage, in his four years in Philly, he ranked top ten in man coverage usage three out of four years. And then the year he didn't, they were like 15th or 17th or something like that. So he's still top half of the NFL. Compare that with the Browns. Joe Woods never was higher than 23rd in his three years with the Browns in usage of man coverage. The thing that excites me most is his focus on the D line. I think he's going to, I think there's going to be significant changes as I, I mean, I would have said it before we even hired him. There's some significant changes coming to that D line this off season. But I think what Schwartz brings is kind of some pressure on Andrew Barry to go get D-line help immediately. What that means is, is in the draft, you're looking at um, B.J. Ojolari out of LSU. You're looking at Felix Uzuma out of Kansas State. You're looking at Thule out of USC as like immediate targets in the draft. And then, you know, you have some dream targets in like Hargrave and Payne out of free agency that highly unlikely we were going to get either of those two. But like those are your... Hargrave is a dream target for this defense. I'm excited because we're going to rebuild that D-line 
the right way with his presence in the locker room. And I think he's his that no nonsense mentality that just kind of like that leadership that, you know, I think that's going to get the young guys motivated. And if not motivated, we're going to we're going to kind of filter out the bad apples. And I just I'm like thrilled for that. It's not going to be a world changing defense next year, but it's going to be worlds better than what it was this year. I'd be excited too. And I honestly think that the idea of there being a drastic improvement isn't even that crazy. We've seen him do it time and time again at his other stops. You exclude what he did in Detroit. He's one of those guys that I feel like outstanding coordinator, just not probably cut out to be a head coach. And there's nothing wrong with that. How often do we come on this show and talk about sometimes being a coordinator, it's the greatest job in the world. And his players have loved him everywhere he's gone. But You can go back to whether it be Buffalo, whether it be Tennessee, whether it be Philadelphia, he's seen the drastic jumps in Philadelphia. When he came on board, the Eagles had one of the worst defenses in football. They were 30th in yards allowed and 28th in points allowed. And in two years, he got them all the way up to fourth in both of those statistics. And yes, the Super Bowl, we often talk about the Philly special and Nick Foles, but what he did with that defense can't be over like understated he was unbelievable massive home run david i i bet you are on top of the world and you have every right to be i want to ask you this question david after i mean there was minimum like three or four bullet points every week if you had to point out on a defensive side of the ball what the browns had did wrong not bringing any specific player into this what are you most excited to jim Schwartz or for jim Schwartz to bring out in your defense this year I just like it's D line, it's D line, right? So, so even if you don't go and acquire anyone, I just I feel like the focus is going to be on doing more rotations on the D line. What Philly was doing when they won their Super Bowl is they had like two, they literally had like two groups of defensive linemen that just kept cycling in, bringing pressure, stopping the run, doing it over and over and over again. And you literally statistically cannot get worse than what our current defensive tackles were at this year. So even if you go out and get a guy in free agency, he's statistically likely to be better than what we currently have. Our entire defense is predicated on the D-line being good and getting pressure on the quarterback. And if we can't do that, if it's just Miles Garrett like it was this year, you see us get exposed in the secondary. And it happened all year long. You could literally, if you gave us two incredible defensive tackles that entire defense would have looked unbelievably different all year long and I think Jim Schwartz is going to fix that problem maybe not immediately but there's going to be some growth on that d-line whether it be through acquisition draft picks what have you you and I are big DVOA fans David the people outside of Cleveland and I understand they weren't really a sexy team this year because they had Brissett starting for so long but that's a Browns team that graded very highly, even with Jacoby Brissett at quarterback. If you throw in a top 10-ish defense with Deshaun Watson, even marginally getting back to what he was before the suspension, there's a real optimism here that the Browns can be a Super Bowl threat sooner rather than later. One team that we thought was a Super Bowl threat Ended up blowing a 27-point lead in the Los Angeles Chargers. They ended up firing Joe Lombardi, their offensive coordinator, and their quarterback's coach, Shane Day. I mean, this is self-explanatory. You give up 27 points in a playoff game and a comeback loss, nonetheless, don't care if you're on the road or not. I mean, 
this is a great call, right? But who are we going to go get to replace him? See, that'll be fun. But Ben Johnson's going to be a name that you're going to see probably more or less in head coaching discussions, but he'll be a guy that they'll at least entertain the idea of. And who knows, Ben Johnson, he sees Justin Herbert. He's going to probably be licking his chops to get around a guy like that. But I, I mean, someone had to go after what happened last week. It's just one of those instances where you don't want a scapegoat, but you need to have a scapegoat when you blow a 27, nothing lead. If you are going to retain Brandon Staley. I don't even know why you retain Brandon Staley. I really, I just Agreed. don't, I don't understand. What does it say that he's going to throw his coaching staff under the bus and fire them all? And like, ah, oh, you know, this wasn't, this wasn't me. It's like, even you're a defensive mind and you gave up 27 almost unanswered points in the second half. And you have one of the most talented defenses out there like that. That's not on your staff. Like you're, you're overseeing this. It's, you know, to Wally's point, I think it was yesterday, you know, you get away from your mentality, like what made you basically a famous coach, which is taking risks, following the rules of analytics, you go away from that. And then, yeah, I don't know. I, you just, you're going to fire your quarterback's coach who probably Justin Herbert probably loves. And actually Justin Herbert's a great quarterback. He's getting better. And we're going to take away the guy that's probably helping with his growth. I, I'm just, I don't know. I, I'm like all over the board with the Chargers because I think they're, you couldn't get it any more wrong from a coaching staff standpoint. Fire everyone and start over with the head coach. You clearly aren't winning games with him. And you have one of, again, this is like the third time in the last 25 years that the Chargers have on paper, one of the top five most talented fucking rosters in the NFL, and every single time they fall short, and the only time they didn't fall short, they were like 14-2, and two, and then they lost in, uh, God, what was it, the fucking conference championship round or divisional round of the playoffs that year. I just, like, I'm I'm tired of the Chargers getting it wrong, and it's not because I want to see the Chargers win. It's just I'm so tired of seeing them be a disappointment. Two names for you to think about. Joe Brady, the quarterback coach in Buffalo, and Frank Reich, who just recently has been fired by the Colts, that's a great way to get yourself back into coaching. He's not going to be a head coach again right away. He's going to have to earn it if he even wants that. And again, Justin Herbert in this Chargers team has got to be, like, you got to be salivating if you are a offensive mind trying to get in a coordinator game because this is just, like, set up for success. And the defense is going to help you out, too, if you can ever – figure that side of the ball out in the run defense. So I think you're going to get a very good candidate. I'm just saying, look out for those couple names that I mentioned there. The last Monday night football game of the year. And we probably could have slept through it, especially for a Buccaneers fan. The Cowboys end up winning 31 to 14. This was never really a game considering that both teams had the ball or had two drives already completed because of three and outs within the first five minutes. Then Dallas just explodes all over Tampa Bay. This was bad from the get-go, but let's let's just get this out of the way. We'll talk about the game. Brett Maher missed four consecutive extra points. Four consecutive. Is that more surprising that he missed four in a row or that Mike McCarthy kept going to him after he met, missed all those? He did eventually, he made his fifth. I should clear that up. Can we say thank God that he made his fifth? Because while it was entertaining to watch because it's something we've never seen before, you could see after that second miss, 
you just felt bad, like the human element where you could see almost a lost look in his eyes. We've heard the term yips before. The one that jumps out to me is Rick Ann Keel. He was a high profile pitcher for the Cardinals. And overnight, he forgot Hell how of a to name throw. drop. Yeah. Well, Hell he, of a name drop. Like, if you guys are all football fans out there, if you're not a baseball fan, I recommend you pull up on YouTube Rick Ann Keel Yips because I'm sure there's going to be a bunch of videos where this guy was like a massive prospect. And then overnight, and it was legitimately overnight, he went from being a high end starter or a high end. I can't remember if he was a starter or reliever. It's been so long that, but he couldn't throw home. He did not know how to hit a catcher. He got so in his head and thank God for him. He rediscovered himself as an outfielder and he became fantastic in that respect. But this isn't a joke. People get the yips and you could see it happening where the guy, even he pushed the first to a million miles and he overcompensated pulled the third and then it was just like he was so lost he pushed the fourth again i'm so happy he made the fifth i'd love to hear what your guys's thoughts are too it's not as simple as just cut and get a new kicker though that's what makes it difficult for me my problem though is that so so i think i've been pretty good about not being the trigger happy fire whomever reactionary person uh when bad shit happens to like the browns or whatever but like i don't know man i I, like we're talking the playoffs i don't care what he did in the regular season we're talking the playoffs the wild card you have no pressure because you're up all game long there's no pressure the tampa bay is not putting points on the board this isn't you're not missing kicks when it's 30 to fucking 28 you're missing kicks when you're up three scores to Tampa Bay's three points. And I, I just, I have a hard time, like, you know, I, I joke and say the biggest story is him not being cut at halftime, but I got to be honest, if he misses a singular kick in the next game, I'm not kicking the fucking ball. I'm not doing I'm going for two every fucking play because you, you have lost all confidence. And to be honest, you miss a kick in the next round, a singular kick, unless it's 50 plus yards, you miss a singular kick I don't you're not on my roster anymore you're just not like the the offseason comes you're off of it because I can't trust you in big moments now has nothing to do with what he did in the regular season it's I you have lost all ability in the playoffs with the yips maybe you get it back to your point Wally maybe you get it back and maybe it's with another team we've seen that happen multiple times with kickers but you know, I can't try, like, I'm not giving you another opportunity if you miss a singular kick under 50 yards in the next game. You miss that kick. We're going for two every fucking time. I'm going forward on fourth down. I'm not even rolling you out there because you've lost all faith, not just in me as the coach, but you got the fucking players on the side. Your, your fucking quarterback yesterday was filmed slamming his helmet going, let's fucking go for two. That's bad when the whole fucking team loses faith in you that's bad you don't even you don't even deserve a roster spot and if it was the regular season wouldn't give a shit move on to the next one it's you know means nothing but we're talking about arguably one of the biggest games in in the Cowboys history over the last decade because it's the best team they've had over the last decade and they're in the playoffs it's big moments and there's no pressure on you there's no pressure you're putting it on yourself by missing kicks I'm out on him if he, uh, you give him the next game, let's see him make some kicks. Great. If so, you put this one behind you. He misses one fucking extra point, one fucking kick within 50. 
I'm telling you, he'd be cut the the next morning. I'd rather go for two the rest of the playoffs than put him out there. Well, go for two as well as you're going to be going for fourth down a lot, but that's bad. That is the epitome of you have one job. You literally have one job. You kick a football, yes, from different distances, but this one was the same distance all five times. There really wasn't anything different or drastic that they were changing. So that was bad, but we're kind of, I think we spent way too much on hating on Brett Maher. Well, can I say one thing before we stop hating on Brett Maher? Because it was an NFL record four straight missed extra points. I get that that's been since they moved, but my only reason I bring this up is that why it's so difficult to just like move on. What I would have done personally, why not hold a kicking competition like with Matt Amendola, with Josh Lambeau, a couple of these guys that have been floating around with a couple teams this year, they've kind of been the, when someone's hurt, you throw that guy in. Because you don't just get over the yips. Like if it was just a one-off day, then in practice, he's going to be piping on me. You're like, okay, it was just one of those freak things. We move on. But if he's struggling in practice, you can't roll him out there. But the only reason it's difficult is the guys I mentioned, Josh Lambeau, Matt Amendola, there's others. They struggle too. That's the reason why they didn't stay on teams. There's no fix. It's either you commit to to doing the go for two or you do what the Cowboys did even when they were up 18 in the second half and they went for it on fourth and three instead of kicking a gimme field goal. Coincidentally, it did work out. So sorry I interrupt you, Stephen. Please, why don't you paint the picture of what happened yesterday night? This is a bad picture to paint. This is like when your first grader comes home. It's like, look what I made in class. It's like, cool, this is going right in the fridge. This looking piece of shit looking thing. The Cowboys dominated this whole game. You know, for a team that limped in the playoffs and as somebody who is so against the Cowboys and took Tampa Bay straight up here, just really like the taste of my own foot in my mouth here because they gave it to me here. But Tom Brady, 66 pass attempts, 35 of 66. You had two touchdowns, one interception. The whole Buccaneers offense did not look in sync yesterday. Every time it looked like Tom was yelling at a receiver, even if it was Mike Evans, Chris Godwin had a hell of a game, but Mike Evans didn't even seem like he cared to be there. The energy, the aura that this team has had since winning the Super Bowl is bad. I mean, what? They have gone, maybe, if I'm doing quick math, where they had a 12-win team last year, so they went 8 in, what, 12-5, and five. they went 8-9 and nine this year, so 20 what, 20 and 14 over the last two years, 0-2 in the playoffs since the Super Bowl. I mean, this team just hasn't been able to get it done. So they are looking horrible. Dallas took advantage of that. And when you have a team like this and Dallas's defensive woes they've had, when you've had a lead like this and you have the control and the mental aspect of the game, it just allows your defense to really pin their ears back and get after the quarterback. And when you play with, with just not caring of what the result is because you're up by so much and just knowing that Tom Brady's never going to get north of 19 points, their defense was giving it to him. Micah Parsons was causing pressures all day. It doesn't matter if Ryan Jensen was back with that leg injury. Micah Parsons is a problem. Opening up, you may not see Micah Parsons on the stat sheet, but those guys getting those sacks, getting those tackles, look who's causing that. That dude's a problem. He's going to be the, the reigning defensive player of the year for years to come. If Aaron Donald really is a former defensive lineman of the NFL slash the Rams. Nice callback. You look like a pro. I appreciate you on that. So say what you guys want, uh, your two cents about the Cowboys. I felt like I got my two or three cents in here. But let's end with this. Where do you guys think Tom Brady is going to end up, and what's the next step for him? 
Well, I will give you that. First of all, he's going to play football next year. NFL rumors on Twitter, sometimes they're hit and miss. So take it with a grain of salt. But the teams that they're floating out there is the Las Vegas Raiders. Makes sense. The Miami Dolphins. A lot of rumors about them all last offseason. And get this, his hometown team in San Francisco. Wouldn't it make a lot of sense to me if you can keep a rookie deal with Brock Purdy if he takes him far? However, I can get the sex appeal, especially with how good that system is. You imagine bringing in Tom when he still has a lot more life than people realize in that arm. It was a really bad team he was on. But, Stephen, you brought up last year. It was actually 13-4 and they went. And one fact that I think is absurd, they had the fourth worst point differential, which I said last week on the show, at negative 45 for a division winner. Last year, they were plus 158. That is a 203-point change over one year. That is unbelievable to me. So he's getting out of Dodge without a doubt. But my only other thoughts on the game, and then, David, you say our final words tonight. When someone shows you who they are, you believe them. And this year, the Cowboys were a top-five team for most of the year. When, what, the Bucks were a tire fire? We let one quarter against the Carolina Panthers talk us in that they were back. And, like, I get that they had a shot to tie early in that game before a really uncharacteristic interception in the end zone from Tom Brady kind of took the wind out of the sails. But Dallas, what, what a palate cleanser this was. After two three and outs to start the game, they had four straight 80-plus yard touchdown drives Five of six touchdown drives after the two and outs. It, it was just a complete game in every sense of the word on both sides of the ball, except for kicking, which RIP Brett Maher. But nice to have the boys playing well before going to Santa Clara because I can assure you they're going to play a real NFL playoff team next weekend. Buddy, I don't know. Brady might have had a decent stat line to finish, but throwing them 66 times feels like an indictment on the coaching staff. I don't know. Frankly, after watching him play for this whole season, I don't know why I would chase him in free agency. I really don't. It kind of makes sense for the Niners if they're not paying him a shitload, but I have a hard time spending money on a guy that seems like he regressed. And again, maybe it's coaching, but we are talking about a 45-year-old quarterback. Why would I take the risk? Like the only two teams it kind of makes sense for are maybe the Dolphins and the Niners for me. Maybe the Jets, but I don't think he's going to the Jets. I don't think he's going to cold weather New Jersey to play football. Plus, it's well on the record that he actually hated the Jets, like in right. every sense of the word. Right. So, like, I I don't know. It's just tough for me to see. Like, he's been bad by his standards all season long, and I'm kind of tired of pretending that he's still Tommy Terrific of old. I just like, I think we need to acknowledge that maybe that's the regression we've been looking for, which is still a good quarterback, but not the all-timer that we have known to see out of him. But, you know, to reiterate what you guys said about the Cowboys, I, to be honest, Dak Prescott just shook off the pressure of everything everyone was saying about this team rides with him. I mean, after starting 0-3, the guy finished with 25 of 33 300-plus yards, four passing touchdowns, or rushing touchdowns. He did it all. You could argue he single-handedly won that game. It's a team that still rides with him, so if he's going to play that well, it's going to be really hard to beat the Cowboys. All this talk about Brett Maher, or Maher, Maher, 
I already said in the text, we're talking so much shit that he knows he's going to win. He's going to kick a game winning field goal against San Francisco. We're all going to be like, what the hell? I can see it. And the Tom Brady interception in the red zone, that was his first red zone interception since he joined the Buccaneers. The last time he did that was in New England in 2019. And of course, you know, they showed the stat. All these attempts, seven touchdowns in the red zone, never thrown an interception since joining the Bucs. They show that. They go to commercial, come right back, first place in interception. I tell you what, the, this is a, a testament to how good Tom Brady is, that when you started saying that stat, I half expected you to say the first postseason interception in the end zone of his career. Like That's just like when you started, I expected something ridiculous. And 2019 is very ridiculous for how many games he's played. But again, man, we'll, we'll see about Tommy Terrific and TB12, all that. But if Brett Maher hits a game-winning kick, I promise you that's an that is a storybook end to the human element of this because it, I really genuinely felt bad for her, Brett Maher to person last night. He didn't. For the record, people, he was like, I kind of, is it bad that I want to watch him miss the fourth field goal or the fourth extra point? And I happened. did. I did say that because it was just like so crazy. We'd never seen it before, but every time they panned your face, I felt like I was hitting like a, like a broken dog. <laughs> Well, thanks for joining us here for the clip. We'll be rolling out here Thursday for our divisional round picks here. And until next time, everyone go shame Gus Edwards on Twitter. Shame Gus Edwards season. <laughs>